Evidence and Answers. Many of us wonder, why isn't God's hand more apparent in my life? Why don't I sense His presence and His working in significant ways? God often calls us to take steps of radical obedience, and when we obey, He can use us in tremendous ways. Abraham was to become the father of a new nation, but before he could handle such a calling, he needed to grow in his character and walk with God. God called Abraham to trust Him, and often it required Abraham to truly trust God in significant ways. When Abraham did, God used him in amazing ways. You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat presents a message from the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 entitled, A Father and Son's Sacrifice. This stirring story teaches us some powerful lessons about what it means to truly follow God with all our heart. Let's join Pat now as he presents part one of this inspiring message. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 22. I thought on this day, I'd tell a wonderful story about a father and his son. As we begin, let's just pray together. Father, thrill us with your word and this wonderful story. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to be a part of is to see parents bury their son or daughter. And I don't know of any good parent who wouldn't give up their very lives for the sake of their children. But suppose one day, enter into the scene with me, put yourself in these shoes. Suppose your son after graduating from college comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I've been assigned to go to Afghanistan, to the Helmand province. And the Helmand province, as you know, is the region of the world's worst fighting. This is where the British and Americans have lost hundreds of lives. What would your first emotion be? Joy? Pride? Praise to God? I think fear would be your first emotion. You parents know this, followed by endless nights of worry and even anger against God. And what would the next few weeks be as you await for the day of his departure? Unfortunately, I'm sure the weeks would go by like minutes. And the eve of your son's departure would finally come. And the night before his departure, what would you do? You probably wouldn't sleep one minute. But you and your wife would probably go down to the living room and pick up the photo album and look through his childhood photos and reflect on all the great times that you have had together. Although you enjoy seeing the sunrise, you wouldn't enjoy it this very day. However, the sun breaks through the horizon and the day of your son's departure has finally come. Not much is said at breakfast as you silently try to hold back your emotions because you don't want to see your son see you distraught in your final time together. And as you load your vehicle with his luggage, you wish beyond all hope that his plane would be delayed. Perhaps he could be reassigned. Or perhaps the car wouldn't start and there'd be a good reason why he missed his flight. However, the car starts and you make the longest drive ever 
to the airport. Your heart is heavy with sadness and concern. And what do you say to your son in those final moments? Then, what you feel is the ugliest building in the world you have ever seen now comes into view, the airport towers. You wish you could miss the cutoff and keep driving to the west side, but you know you cannot. And you finally drive up to the gate and unload your son's luggage, and now it's time to say goodbye. And it hits you at that very moment, this may be the very last time I see my son on this side of heaven's door. What would be your final words? I guess the bigger question may be, how would you make it through the next several weeks? It would take all the grace and strength in the world to continue living with such a heavy burden on your heart. Well, this is the scenario Abraham finds himself here in chapter 22. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him and his wife Sarah to leave their country and their family to go to a land they had never seen that God had promised and God would promise to make a great nation from his descendants. But he was 75, she was 65, well beyond childbearing years. Filled with fear but mixed with excitement, they set out from their country and travel miles to a foreign land, the present land of Israel, banking on one thing, the word of God and his promise. And that's all that they had. The elderly couple now waited 25 years, 25 years since God made that promise to come to pass. And Abraham was 100 years old. Imagine that. My friend just had his first son at 50. Abraham was 100 when he had his firstborn son. And Sarah was 90. And God's promise finally came to pass. And they named him Laughter, Isaac, for all the joy that he brought into their lives. A silent household was now filled with laughter every day as they watched their boy, a miracle, a gift from God, grow up in their house. I can only imagine the joy it is to be a parent. I took my nephew just the other day to the stream there in Kamuki to catch crayfish. He loves me catching a crayfish. And when I catch it, he doesn't want to touch it, you know, but he loves to go. I wonder why sometimes. And he doesn't like to get wet either. <laughs> anyway, we're trudging through this river and I catch huge crayfish, a couple big ones. And then when it was time for us to go, I said, all right, throw them back in the water. And he said, no, you do it. And so I said, all right, here, here's the net. Take this crayfish and put him nicely in the water. So he caught the crayfish with the net. And then, because he's a baseball player, he took the net and went <laughs> and killed the crayfish. You know, and I said, what are you doing? You killed the crayfish. You know, and he just kind of looked and laughed. And he said, oh, what was I supposed to do? You know, he said, put it nicely back in the water. Well, anyway, we, we laugh about that all the time. And I'm sure those were the moments you have with your kids that Abraham had with Isaac growing up. And Abraham learned in the 40 years he walked with God, he could trust God. But now his trust is taken to a whole new level. For in chapter 22, God calls Abraham to trust him like never before. God asks Abraham to do what seems absolutely unthinkable 
He asks Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son at Mount Moriah. And we pick up the story in chapter 22. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, here I am, said Abraham. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. You know, one of the lessons we learn early on is following God calls for radical obedience. You know, God called him to trust him in a radical way. The intensity of this command is seen in verse 2. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you dearly love, and sacrifice him on an altar to me. You know, the Abraham of three or four chapters ago would have argued with God. But now, decades later, after walking with God all these years, seeing God in action, God faithful to his word, God could be trusted. God is a God of love. God never betrays his people, always seeks our very best. Abraham doesn't question now. He obeys him, even in a command that doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Now, the journey from Beersheba down here to Mount Moriah, present-day West Jerusalem, is a 50-mile journey. So it wasn't something where Abraham could say, all right, jump in a car, let's go. It says here in verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. The journey from Beersheba to Mount Moriah took several days, the text says. This is perhaps the longest journey of Abraham's life, not physically, but emotionally. And notice what the text says. It took several days. Imagine journeying with your son, carrying this incredible burden upon your heart for several days, knowing you have to kill your one and only son. It says after three days they could see the mountain. Probably took a few more days to actually get to the foot of the mountain. And as you look at the text, there's very little talking or chatter in the text. Probably very quiet around the campfires each night. And I'm sure Isaac would try to strike up a conversation with his dad. But Abraham, holding back his emotion, could only say a few words before he needed to stop. And like a hammer pounding on his heart, the pain Abraham felt must have been absolutely immense. And the text says that they traveled there for days as he walked with Isaac. No father ever wants to bury their son. I've been at those funerals. I've been in the hospital rooms with parents. Probably the worst emotion and event that could happen in the life of any parent. But God calls us sometimes to obey him, even in things that don't make sense. You know, following God is not always easy. It's not always a bed of roses. Things don't always fall into place. Sometimes he calls us to do things we don't possibly understand. But that's what it means to trust him and to walk with him. I was playing golf with my good friend Brian the other day. And, you know, Brian shared with me 
about how he came to know the Lord. He said, I went to church when I was a small little kid, but then as I grew up, of course, as most teenagers do, I walked away from God, you know, and I got married. And, you know, our marriage was tough financially. You know, my wife was a social worker. But then she changed jobs and got a job as a teacher in a school. But the hours were long. My hours, you know, working at the airport were long. It was hard for us to see each other. And kids came along and a lot more stress added. But in those early years of our children, she ended up in an affair with another staff member on the school. And it had gone on for quite some time until I finally found out. And it absolutely devastated me. And he said, I hated the woman and I wanted to divorce her. And not being a Christian at that time, he said, I knew that I had biblical grounds for divorce here for her unfaithfulness. But he said, you know what? I came back to God. At the worst time of my life, I came back to God. And I rededicated my life to Jesus Christ, accepted Him as my Lord and Savior. And though we were living separately now, sharing our kids, he said, God spoke to my heart and He said, Brian, love your wife. Restore this marriage. For her sake, for your sake, for the children. This is what I called you to do. Brian, struggle said God are you crazy I hate that woman look at what she did to me it's publicly humiliated me why do I want to go back to her you know she hates my guts I hate her guts I have biblical grounds for divorce why would I do this but you know following God means to obey him even when things don't make sense even if it's going to be difficult like Abraham so Brian finally said all right this is what you call me to do, I'll give it a shot. And he did. Picked up the phone and called his wife. And she said, well, uh, you know, you know I got the kids this weekend. Why are you calling me? He said, well, I don't, I don't want to talk about the kids. He said, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about us. He said, you know, it wasn't instant. It took years, years of hard work, years of going to counseling and sharing with the counselor all the embarrassing things about you her sharing embarrassing stuff about you working through all of that and then he came to love his wife again and she came to love him and their marriage was restored years later you know his son just graduated there from Iolani high school and it's a tremendous story of how god restored their marriage and the kids have a wonderful, wonderful story of how their dad came back and fought for the marriage and brought them back together. But you see, God would have never worked in that family's life had Brian not obeyed. And Brian said, eh, forget that, man. Do my own thing. I'm happier by myself. God would have never brought a miracle into the life of that family. And that's what we learned today. You know, a lot of people say, oh, God's not working in my life. You obeying him? Because if you take radical steps of obedience, as Abraham did, as Brian did, you'll see God work in your life in wonderful, wonderful ways, in ways you cannot imagine. For some of you, what is that radical step of obedience? Maybe it's coming back to church. Maybe for some of you, it's tithing, giving to God's work for the first time. 
Maybe for some of us who only give one, two percent, God is saying, hey, give three, four percent. Maybe for some, it's breaking off a relationship you shouldn't be in. Trusting that God will bring that right man or woman across your path. Maybe for some, like Brian, it's choosing to love your wife, choosing to love your husband again with all your heart and soul. What is that radical step of obedience God has called you to? Think about it. We each have one that we're avoiding. God calls us to obey because when you do, he's going to move in ways you can't possibly imagine. But it's only going to happen if you choose to obey. God can't honor a life of complete disobedience to him. Second, we learn radical obedience comes from learning to trust God. Abraham didn't become a guy that could obey God no matter what overnight. It came from walking with God's over decades and decades. And as he learned to trust God, he could learn that, hey, I can obey him in even greater ways with each passing year. Abraham learned as he trusted God, he learned about the character of God and the faithfulness of God and that God would never break his promise. And God always seeks our best. You know, the day finally arrived for Abraham when he looked over the horizon and he saw Mount Moriah. It says, on the third day, he lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. As Abraham gazed upon that mountain, it probably looked like the darkest, most foreboding tower in the entire land. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. That's an incredible statement of faith, isn't it? Abraham says, you guys stay here. Isaac and I are going to go. And we, he and I, will come back to you again. Abraham knew God had planned the future around Isaac. But God also wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. He was unable to reconcile the two. It didn't make any sense. But he obeyed anyway. This was a tremendous display of trust and faith in God, even when he did not understand why. It must have been like a knife piercing his heart. When Abraham loaded up, it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife the instrument that would put his son to death. And like a knife piercing his heart, Isaac asked him, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham, probably not looking at his son, but looking away, answered, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went away both together. Abraham knew somehow, some way, God had to fulfill his promise. God does not go back on his word. Abraham had seen God provide for Isaac, even though they both were nearly dead. Sarah, 90, he 100. Abraham had seen God protect he and Sarah throughout the 40 years of wandering in strange lands. And God had never gone back on his word. And Abraham knew somehow, some way, God is going to provide. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Abraham was willing to offer up 
his son Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham knew, even if I kill him, somehow the promise will come to pass, even if God must raise him from the dead. Abraham knew God would be faithful to his word. And when you learn of the character of God, when you take steps of obedience of following God, you'll see him faithful to his word each time. And your faith and trust in him like a muscle continues to grow and grow and grow. You know, I remember learning a great lesson of trust and faith. I went to an indoor rock climbing place once in Texas. And, you know, the guy climbing, your life is in the hands of the guy that's on the ground holding the rope, right? Because if you slip and fall or anything, he's got to hold you. And I remember looking at that rock wall and it went up 40 feet, okay, four stories. And the guy, after giving us the instruction, looked at me and said, all right, he said, Pat, which one do you want? And I said, well, since I'm fresh and not tired, give me the intermediate one, all right? And he said, all right, take on the intermediate one. So the intermediate, the easy one goes straight up like this. The intermediate one kind of leans back. So where you have to start grabbing and, and your feet kind of dangle in the air as you try to get over and you know, get over the, uh, a few of those. Well, I went up and I just attacked that thing. You know, and I went up and of course started hanging almost upside down, got around. Again, almost got around. Finally got to the top and touched the roof. And then here I am hanging backwards like this, thinking to myself, how do I get down? It never dawned on me. You can't just spider down. And so I turned around and I said, hey, how do I get down? And they said, let go. Let go and just hang in the air. And the guy holding the rope will bring you down. And I said, what? He said, let go. And I'm hanging on And I said, who's got my rope? And I hear this voice going, I do. And I look behind me and I said, it's an eighth grade boy <laughs> named Barry. He's holding on to the rope and smiling at me, saying, I gotcha. And I looked and I was clinging on and I said, get someone else. <laughs> hey, someone else help this boy. And he said, no, no, I got you, man. I got you. Let go. And I was hanging on over there and I said, hey, somebody get next to this boy. <laughs> Barry just held on. He's smiling at me. He goes, Pat, just let go. And my hands were getting tired, and I knew the only way coming down is I gotta let go. And my life is in this eighth grade boy's hand. <laughs> and so I took a deep breath, and I finally let go. And I swung out, nothing between me and the ground, and I thought I'm gonna go four stories down. I better get ready, I'm gonna break both legs. But as I let go, my final right hand, I swung to the middle opened my eyes, I was slowly coming down as he was releasing. I was slowly, slowly coming down till I finally hit the ground. And I looked over at him and said, I told you, I got you, man. <laughs> so, you know, I learned to trust that eighth grade boy right there. And he said, hey, do it again. <laughs> so I went up again and this time it was a lot easier to let go because I had built my trust in him. I saw that he could do it. And then when I came down, 
I said, you know what, let's do the advanced. And we could go and tackle harder and harder and greater obstacles and conquer greater mountains because I had now learned to trust in my partner there. And that's the same way with God. As you learn to take steps of obedience, maybe small ones at first, you learn He's faithful, He's trustworthy. And you know what? You can trust Him for greater and greater things. And as you do, you, you conquer greater and greater mountains. And you see Him move in your life in greater and greater ways. And that's what makes the Christian life so exciting. To trust God and then see Him come through in great and exciting ways. You know, a lot of guys you know, ask me, how come you don't quit your job? It's such a life of faith, not knowing where your next paycheck is coming and that and all that. Oh man, because man, you put it on the line and you see God come through again and again and again. It's just an incredible life. That's what Abraham did. He put it all on the line to see if God was going to come through. He knew he could trust God after all those years of taking steps with him. One of the life applications I teach people is to keep a spiritual journal. You know, reflect on your life this afternoon. Think about all the times you trusted God and all the times he came through. Talk about it with your kids. Talk about it with your wife tonight. Write it down. Reflect on it. Think about it. You'll be surprised how often you trusted God and how he never, ever let you down. Well, the final lesson we learn is this. When we obey, God moves in our lives. When we obey, God moves. That's what Abraham learned. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son, and he took the knife, he took that fire and the knife, and so they both went together. And Isaac said to Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? This concludes part one of Pat's message from Genesis chapter 22. I hope you were inspired by the life of Abraham and gained valuable insights from his example. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to the entire study and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat is the director of the Pacific Apologetic Center, a subsidiary ministry of the Bible Institute of Hawaii. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers Radio Show is a ministry of the Pacific Apologetic Center. Join us again next week as Pat presents part two of this message on the life of Abraham right here on Evidence and Answers. Oh, 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 oh,